You're listening to Dance Cinema Conversation with Sarah Pini, an Italian dancer living in Sydney. Sarah and I met in Manly, Australia to talk about her dance video, Abisso. Abisso acts as a visual metaphor of Sarah's inner landscape during her long and arduous medical journey. In this podcast, Sarah talks about the subject of healing, the concept of other, the merging of two bodies, the symbolic metaphors Sarah employed for Abisso, the importance of location, and her current PhD research on a notion of presence in performance. We also reflect on the decisive moment when Sarah's body transforms into a new and powerful body. Abisso is one from a series of dance videos you made during the time you were living with the intensity of an illness. And in your video article, Resisting the Patient Body, a phenomenological account, a tender and brave personal story about how you faced being diagnosed with Hodgkin lymphoma at the age of 22. This event started a profoundly long and transformative journey for you, undergoing 10 years of intense recurring cancer treatments and having to face uncertainties and deep fears. I wanted to sit on the subject of healing. There's no denying the strong transformative power art plays in assisting artists distilling their suffering through expression. Could you please speak to us more about your journey to healing? I think this project has been crucial for me in terms of finding my way to, to cope with this illness and find my own way through it. Especially in terms of helping me giving a different meaning to the experience I was going through. So it was, and in that sense, I think that was an important part of the healing process because it's not just about healing the the healed body, the biological body. But if you can shape or attach a powerful meaning to something that when it happens, when you get when you receive a cancer diagnosis, it's really hard to find meaning in the sense like you just why? <laughs> Why now? Why me? <laughs> and yeah, it's just something that it's really, it's not um, what you would like to to go through, what you expect, especially, I mean, I was 22, so I was quite young and that was probably the least of my yeah. <laughs> expectation. I never thought about, I, I didn't, when I got that news, I didn't even know what cancer mean in a way, like I knew it was bad, but like, is something that it never crossed my mind. So I think healing to be is something that it really needs to go through all the dimensions of 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 life or of your experience. So it's not, not like just healing the body is not enough in a way. Like you need to you need to also heal your your mind and mm and also your your environment in a way like the your relationship with with the people that are close to you with the the place that you inhabit 
So for me, these 10 years has been a difficult and challenging journey and a transformative one because obviously you, your body change and you go through a lot of transformations but also an healing one and and a way of and a chance let's say to to reshape and reconsider and transform myself so mm. I think in that sense um, having a creative practice or an embodied practice could have a, a strong potential for Reading. You mentioned about the different dimensions when you were processing it. Could you talk more about how you process these different dimensions? Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't do it in a like I would I would say that I didn't do it in a systematic way. But of course, when you face this disrupting events, you face existential crises or issues. So you, you really need to find a way to to shape a new meaning, to find some other meaning, because if you just stick with the realities, mm. <laughs> find a way to understand and accept a reality, but in a way that it is bearable and makes sense to you. Because uh, I would say that just having the label or being labeled as cancer patients and not being able to do all the things that you were used to do or you wanted to do so all your identity and self disrupts and uh, destroy it in that position I think just treating the body and, and expecting that everything will be fine just by taking, the, taking your meds I, think, I personally think that it won't be enough I'm not saying that you're not going to get cured of course you will but in terms of yeah psychological well-being and and just uh, it's important to to have a way of make sense of what's happening while it's happening because mm. uh, yeah yeah why was it important for you to perform while going through treatments for me it was important to to dance and enact these performances while going through treatments because it was a way for me to tell myself the story I was able to hear in a way. So it was a way for me to make sense of uh, a critical and disrupting event. So obviously I didn't want to to hear that story. I didn't want to know that I was a cancer patient and I ended up being cancer patient for 10 years. So for me, it was a way of coping and transforming my reality. So it was the only place where I could have an agentic perspective. I, I could influence my reality in a way. So it was a way for me to to tell the story, but on my own terms, mm. basically. How has this experience changed your perspective on life and movement? Yeah, but I, it's really difficult to entangle mm. <laughs> if yeah. it was... Uh, having this experience of fitness that changed that or if it was approaching this experience of fitness through through dance that also changed the way I was experiencing fitness yep. so it's really difficult to untangle what, what had the more um, strong or powerful effect or what, what transformed my perspective but yeah what I can say for sure is um, that deeply transformed 
my, the, my understanding of, of, of my body and why a body moves and why a body should move. Mm. So, and what moves yeah. us. Yeah, what moves us. So, yeah. During and after your medical treatments, with the support of your brother being a professional video maker, you were adamant to film intimate dance performances in different meaningful locations and express different metaphors that map your emotional body with the landscape. I'm curious to know what was going on in your mind and body when you were performing. Could you express to us your intentions, feelings and thoughts you had at the time? What I was trying to do with this dance performances and, and filming, obviously back then I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to develop this project the way I'm doing now. So for me it was, um, was more a matter of, um, I would say, have my personal healing ritual in a way. It was a way for me to to cope with the with the events and with the situation I was in. It was a way for me to kind of rewrite my own story. So that's something that I also mentioned in in the uh, video article. Uh, it just got published. When you go through severe illness, your body is treated as, as an object by the biomedical model, let's say. So for me, having this practice, this filming and this dance performances was a way to regain a form of agency, regain a form of control and at the same time a way of reshape my own narrative. So in that space and in that particular places, they were all places like linked to my biography, like either like familiar places like home, the home of my grandparents or my my home in Italy, and other meaningful places like we filmed Abisso in Tenerife, the place where my mom moved after she retired. So they were kind of meaningful place in terms of emotional links to family memory. And, and life, the life that I, as I knew it mm. before the illness. So for me, it was a way to reinforce an healing process and a way also to make sense through my body because my body was going through a lot during all the treatments and, and the illness. So I would say it was a form of healing practice and also a form of uh, reshaping my narratives so or kind of embodied diary. So rather than writing down my feeling of emotion, I w was just enacting them, just dancing through them. And I was hoping that way, so what I had in my mind while I was doing that, just a way of feeling me, <laughs> feeling that I could exist in this space that was not just a diseased body mm. or... You weren't thinking that you had that when you were performing or was there times where you slip in and out of that kind of conscious thinking? Um, I think that was my intention before start the, the improvisation or the dance. So every 
performance with Fendt, I already had in mind why I chose that particular place because there was basically like all, all these performances happen either before or after crucial moments in my uh, during my my illness, my my treatments. So either I was going to do some disruptive moment so it was like either like the beginning so just before starting something that I knew would have been difficult so as a form of like kind of preparing or or either like happen during or after some odd other events related to to my illness so every time it was a bit different so it was not on every time the same so it really and I didn't film for like two years even if I was going through the treatment so it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not that we had like this project in mind and, and just it was um, spontaneous. It was completely spontaneous. So I didn't know what, what what I was going to do with this material. I just mm, I just had the need to do it while it, it was happening. And I also, well, to be honest, back then I didn't even know that how it would happen to me. So yeah, <laughs> of course, like like the idea of future. Um, wasn't really kind of a stable or, or clear possibility yeah I didn't really have a plan in mm. mind so it was more like a an immediate response like a, a need to to express or to tell myself yeah yeah the feeling that you're yeah going through at yeah. that time in a way that was a uh, sustainable for me mm. and as a professional dancer back then like using my own body to, to tell my story, I mean, to tell the story, uh, it was just like the, yeah, the more natural, <laughs> let's say, way of expressing. But I'm, when I did it, it wasn't a, I, I didn't have in mind this project or the idea of editing and composing in this uh, short film and so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, just yeah that's like just that. happened kind of uh, recently in the last years. I started to work on that and kind of reshaping all the material that I collected over 10 years mm. of treatments and performances. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, so, when you said that you would do a performance before something major happened and then again after, mm -hmm. was it in the same location? No, <clears throat> we never. Um, no, I never or perform the dance in the same location. Mm. No, because also, yeah, another reason is that all these events have a, like a, a major transformative impact, not, not just on my body, but of course, obviously also on the way you relate to the body, to your life, to your environment. Every time we, we film the performance, it was either before or after major events or crucial or difficult times so yeah when we were going to start to work on another one like things would have changed already so much so we couldn't ever get, um, get back to the same place mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think that's also kind of a metaphor for what an healing process or a transformative process is about you can really yeah, you just change, you can't really go back to, like, there's no, at the point where you started, it's, yeah, yeah. you can't just go back, you just need to, yeah, keep, keep going <laughs> and, yeah. and move.
And one of the interesting things you mention is the notion of the other, quoting you holding together two opposite dimensions, the body self and the body disease object. How has this notion influenced your narrative subjects? I work with this idea of other, both in terms of cancer as other, and that's an idea that it came from uh, Deborah Gordon, a medical anthropologist that wrote uh, on this subject and did research uh, on the different meanings related to this disease, how people make sense of this illness and what are the common metaphor language used to describe and talk about this, this illness. So, yeah, from her, her um, ethnography, she talks about this idea of cancer as, as, as other, in a sense that we tend to have to <laughs> this understanding, not just cancer, but it's obviously seen as something frightening and unknown. It's really something that scares people because you can't really control it and that all these fears are kind of, I would say, are difficult to deal with because they're ingrained somehow in our biology and, and that are linked to the idea of other. What, what, what is other is something that you don't know, you don't really know well. So and if you don't know something, you don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to react and so even if it might not be as dangerous, but since it's unknown and it's different from what you know, it becomes problematic. So in my research, like as my body became other, became something that I couldn't really control and I embodied this idea of alterity. Again, like these performances for me were another way to kind of bridge my, let's say, my, my broken self, my, so this idea of my, my broken self, with the kind of story I wanted to tell, the story it was important for me to, to believe in, basically. And when you go through all these um, treatments, when you're in the hospital and so you stop being a person certain times and you became a disease. So that's why I talk about the uh, disease object, the body as a disease object, because uh, they treat your condition, the disease. So you, you became <laughs> the result of your test. You became yeah, the, the medical definition of what, what's going on in your body. And it's really hard to, to deal with, to keep, to keep it, because it, you're still <laughs> a person, so I mean, it's not that you just stop being what you have been or feeling yourself and your identity, but you also gain, you also get this different or new identity, which is also other. So it's new, it's different, it's unknown, and it's new for you. For me, going through this period and going through uh, these treatments um, with uh, a unembodied practice with the dance practice. It was like my way to 
kind of cope and try to pull together these two opposite forces, these two opposite meaning. The other disease body definition these doctors gave you, did they actually make sense to you? Well, it doesn't make sense in the beginning, obviously, because I guess that's a shock. Like, yeah, I'm talking for myself, but all the, um, yeah, also the literature I, I read on, on this topic. Yeah, it's always like a traumatic event or yeah. something that, yeah, it, it takes a while to, to adjust and kind of accept and, and kind of shift your own perspective. And, and so, yeah, because in the beginning, it's like, yeah, that's just not possible because that's me, like my healthy, uh, normal <laughs> yeah. self. And all of a sudden, it, you just became the opposite. So it takes a while to find a way to cope with this um, yeah. Yeah, identity. And, uh, and yeah, my response was uh, perform, I mean, the need to, to perform and to, to shift uh, this and just to find a space where I could also be something different, not just a cancer patient, not just a diseased body. Yeah, I'm interested in um, this other as you just said the this other being that you once you were informed about this other to cope with this news you would perform it in a way that you could process it but at the same time you created another character yeah how did that evolve was there any that stood out to you yeah that's really interesting yeah it's true I don't think I was I was realizing that I was creating another character because I was already <laughs> trying to cope with the fact that I became a character that I it was new to me and I didn't expect to 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 act or perform this role let's say that cancer patient for over 10 years so um but but it's true because um through um yeah through performance, you, you, you create also a different space. So you also create a different identity. So I was in, in, in during these performances, I was neither, neither the, the patient that was going to the hospital and do the treatments or the, the patient that the doctor were dealing with. But I, and I wasn't <laughs> the professional dancer I was used to be or the, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, I was kind of, something in between something um i love that yeah something in between but but still something that had a place so for me yeah that that's why i linked these performances to significant places um as a way of kind of get some energy from the place that were um important had a lot of meaning and emotion attached because you, you you need to get this um support strength so because um, it, it yeah it's a it's really hard <laughs> yeah. to be in that in that position and um, yeah just um, it's hard because he um, all of a sudden you have to um, it's not that you have to but get rid of your identity but this is kind of this very disruptive event and kind of stripes you away from yeah what do you um everything that you knew that you know 
So yeah, just live, live in the space defined by, by, the, by medicine, by the biomedical way of uh, understanding the body. It's tough. <laughs> it's really difficult. So yeah. I love how you said, I finally became a chimera. For listeners who don't know what a chimera is, it's a Greek mythological monster that has a lion head, body like a goat, and a tail of a serpent. Why did you become a chimera? Well, this is actually the medical definition. Um, in genetics, is said of an organism containing a mixture of genetically different tissues. So in my case, it's both kind of a metaphor for... Um, but this is also kind of a fact. So people that receive a bone marrow transplant, for example, are defined as chimeras. So in my case, for example, I did a bone marrow transplant from an unrelated donor. So now my body has two different genomes. So one genome is the one that I was born with. Um, but from the stem cells that I got from my donor, I have also obtained a different one. So these cells recreated the immune system and all the blood cells from scratch. So now I have different blood type than the one I was born with. And I'm actually a biological chimera, um, as all the people that receive this kind of treatment. It's a mythological monster that became a medical term. Did you make a work about this chimera? Did you make a dance performance about this moment? Uh, yes, the chimera episode. I'm working on the second episode um, of the series of film called Infinito, which is a series of age-old films. So the second episode is the one that we filmed right after the transplant. So, yeah, hopefully it will be out soon. Can't wait. At the time you made episode, it marked an important transformation in your life. Could you please describe to our listeners what that moment was and the situational narratives that took place? When I decided to film Abisso, it was a, a crucial moment in my medical trajectory because uh, it was 2014. I already had lots of treatments, so basically eight years already passed and um, it was a moment where basically I realized that there was there were not many options left and at the same time I was very I was very exhausted of being in this place it's because my trajectory with with lymphoma with cancer was a yeah a strange and a particular one um, luckily Hodgkin lymphoma is a disease that it's highly curable today, but there are some <laughs> nasty cases where it's a bit more challenging. So unfortunately, I was one of these cases, so all the treatments I went through, they worked, but only for a short amount of time, so I had lots of relapses. So basically, every year I was going through the entire process all over, so I thought it was over and then it wasn't. So after eight years, that's the time when I filmed the so I, I was really like exhausted. Like I couldn't really uh, <laughs> cope anymore. I just had the feeling that I really need to, yeah, to to change that that pattern that 
that life. So that's the reason why I found this performance underwater because that was my feeling at the moment because I, I was doing one treatment, like one immunotherapy, it was a, a phase one trial because uh, I already had all these, let's say, standard treatments and it didn't work. So I was also enrolled in several tri uh, medical trials and it basically it wasn't really working anymore so I knew that the last possible available treatment was a, a bone marrow transplant that's something that I never really wanted to do because it, it's really yeah it's really tough process and challenging so I was always hoped that could have been other um, options but at that stage I realized that if I really wanted to have a chance of getting rid of this disease, the transplant might, could have been possibly the last available option. And so I was feeling I was really stuck in this, in this dimension. So I, I found this dance on the water because that's the, the feeling I was having like, like my life and the, the reality, it was kind of um, disconnected from the rest of the world. It was like in a separate dimension, a dimension where you couldn't really breathe. So it's like when you kept, kept your breath on the water, yeah, you kind of, you can wait for being able to get on surface and breathe. If you kept breath on the water for yeah. too long, you just get this feeling in your body that you really need to breathe and that's what I was feeling so I just need to be able to breathe and to stay on the surface <laughs> so that's the the kind of feeling I tried to I wanted to express or I put in in this performance so definitely the process of um, going through that bone marrow transplant how long did that go for well the the, the medical procedure it normally takes one month to, to five weeks, but then like the recovery takes years. Oh wow! So yeah, yeah. So I would say like five weeks of hospitalization in a um, I'd say in English in a, um, a quarantine room where you have no contact with <laughs> with the outside world except for one person that can come to visit you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you've been locked in a, a two-meters room for, like, a month and a half. <laughs> it's kind of that's what we mean by weird. suffocating. Yeah. You couldn't go and do anything. No, and mm. it's, a, yeah, it's really painful. Um, and, yeah, it's yeah. a tough procedure, but, um, but it's an amazing treatment and without it's able to yeah save and cure yeah, mm. a lot of people I want to sit on the subject of water uh, the element of water conveys many symbolic metaphors and emotions what does water signify for you in Abyssal yeah um, that plays a big role um, so we were visiting my mom who moved there um, in the last years so there was already this connection to the fact that I was visiting my mom and at the same time it was a like challenging moment so a difficult time so that I was going through so 
aside from the need to express and kind of uh, enact this feeling of having been kept in a separate dimension and not being able to, to breathe, as I would have loved to. There was also the, um, the element of the water as a source of life and also another reason why we did we found that this one underwater is because at that time I knew that if I was going through a transplant from a from an unrelated donor, that would have also had an impact on my my blood because <laughs> I would that would have mean that I would have lose and changed my my blood. So this dance abyss was also the last dance I performed with my original blood. So it was a kind of a morning or kind of yeah morning ritual for something that it was going to happen and losing my blood is also losing the link with your mother or yeah so I think there's also all these elements in embedded in in the film but yeah uh, that that's the other meaning embedded in, in in this film so it's both the feeling of being kept in a separate dimension and the feeling of wanting to, to be in this element as a source of life and a way of get, getting the strength to face the, the incoming, <laughs> the so incoming you future. That, you filmed that just before you... Yeah, um, we filmed that uh, in December 2014, but um, then I had my transplant one a uh, few months later, like one year later, but that because uh, I couldn't just go through the, tr um, the transplant, we need, I had to do other treatments before in order to be ready to, to do that. But still, like, uh, when we filmed Abiso, I knew that what I needed to do I was, a, was, a, was a bone marrow transplant because I, um, I went through all other possible treatments for, for many years and nothing worked. So doctors told me that there was like kind of the last the last available treatment, so the last chance to maybe uh, get cured. So I was really scared <laughs> at the same time. So I guess um, there was all these three elements, like I uh, had a lot of fear for, for what um, needed to be done. Mm. Yeah, and filming underwater takes a lot of strength as well. Were you able to film very long under there, or uh, um, <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean uh, a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it's more the editing that kind mm. of. Um, Did you have um, in mind what uh, what choreography you were doing? You were going to do, or was it improvised? Um, it was improvised, but also I. Um, I kind of had some structure in mind in the sense that the movement I did. I, I thought about it before, and there are some movement that kind of reminds the um, fetus. So, like like this uh, maternal idea of the water as a source of life. But I also wanted to have a kind of a, give a positive feeling. So not just the uh, the pressure and the the fear, but also being water, being underwater, be how you say. Um, immersed? Immersed, immersed in this element. It was something that yeah, could 
lift me up in a way. So yeah, there's some movement that kind of reminds yeah the yeah. fetus and Beautiful. being in a womb kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What kind of processes do you employ in making choreography for film? Do you plan ahead before you film or is it improvised? In terms of this project, Infinito, this series of performances, it collects the work done in, in the last um, 12 years. So for that project, like, I was improvising, but I always already had an idea what I wanted to say and w what I needed to do. So either in terms of the location and the, let's say, the character of, or the, the topic I needed to express. It wasn't completely improvised in a sense. Yeah, when you translating movement into film, what are the challenges that you have or vice versa? Do you have an image or do you have a feeling before you create this scene? Yeah, it's like I, I kind of have the film or the, the performances in my mind. So also um, we basically, we made this for, for the camera were intended to be filmed and um, so yeah I would say um, well, I never realized any of this movement or choreography but I already had a clear idea in my mind when I when we started filming so um, yeah I would say it's a kind of um, improvisation on on a theme that I already that I've been working on f for a while, so uh, just not get into the space and improvise according to the, the atmosphere or the moment, because I, I knew the spaces before and I knew what kind of meaning was embedded in these places. And Do you direct a video maker? Yeah, we, we kind of worked collaboratively in that sense. My brother has a good sense for for the photography, so he knows what works best in terms of light angles, and so in that sense, he directed me. But I, I, I was also directing him in the sense: mm. now we do this, and then we go there, and then we do this and that, and so it's mm. kind of a intertwined collaboration. collaboration. Yeah, mm. so it's not really you can really like separate like he directed this and I. Mm. And he would collaboration. say, would he say... Um, yeah, change and, and do, do this again, yeah. but yeah, I don't know, the other side or... That's yeah. great. You have a good uh, relationship with your brother. I... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it has yeah. been great working with him on this project. But yeah, of course, he is my uh, little brother, younger brother, so mm. we were that close when we were kids. But of course, um, growing older, yeah, we, we have a good... That's great, yeah. yeah. And we collaborate on other projects as well um other uh, video dance that so yeah we work together Great. in other contexts so yeah you might visit him in china yeah i would love to yeah <laughs> does the location affect you and the way you move in a specific location yes i think apart from from this specific project i think that's a very important and interesting aspect to to work with in green dance one of the most interesting and beautiful things just because uh, 
the meaning or the the emotion you can get from being immersed in a place there. Mm. It's something that, I mean, it's so different from when you perform in a theater when you have this like um, black box or like abstract space. And I think, yeah, like screen dance or when you do film in a certain landscape or using open spaces, it's it's really about this relationship with the environment. So it's how can move through an environment, but it's also how this environment uh, shape your feelings and emotion as well. So it's a kind of, yeah, kind of intertwine and mm. strong relationship. It's it's different than performing that scene at theater in a way. I mean, the, mm. it's different. It's just a... Yeah. And based on the location, do you have something in mind when you're looking for a location? Do you just stumble upon a space and um, you get a fact straight away that this is a good space to... Um, yeah, well, it depends sometimes. Um, for, for, this specific, for, for my project, um, uh, Infinito, the location I work with, like, significant places. So it, it was not really a matter of aesthetics or it was just like I needed to do it there because I was there and it was important for my story. In other contexts, it depends like if you work in a museum or I've been doing this other project and we filmed the uh, scientist biolo uh, biologist practices in the lab. So then you get inspired with a very different environment. So it depends. Also sometimes is is the context that you work with. So you're not. It's not that you decided. Mm. I would always keep in mind um, this relationship. Like I would always keep in mind the fact that we're not just influencing or shaping our environment. It's also it's also always important to to, to acknowledge how much a space change and transforms you as well. So mm. yeah, I think that was something that I would always try to acknowledge somehow. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. Do you also get affected by the sound of the location? Yeah, no, I would definitely say so. Yeah, I'm just thinking all the performance that we did uh, in the, for, for this project, Infinito. For example, the, 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 um, the film I'm working on is called uh, Risveglio, which means waking up. <laughs> and that's the, the, the performance we filmed after the transplant, so the Chimera one. Um, so we filmed, it was um, uh, the end of January, so it was winter in, in Italy. We filmed it near the riverbed near my home. And uh, so it was a an environment, um, I mean, there was the, the natural sound of the wind and, and the water. So, so yeah, that, yeah. That, was a, that was again a metaphor or a way of working with the location, with the natural elements, with the place in an emotional and metaphorical mm. way, because there was a, already the, that place was describing, was a, like a perfect description or metaphor for the kind of feeling Mm. I I wanted to to dance to an act so mm. so yeah I would say okay. yes <laughs> yeah the soundtrack is by Monkey Astronaut what was your choice to work with him and how did you collaborate on developing the soundtrack that was a it is a friend of mine so 
I asked him a long time ago to compose music for, for this project, but that was way before we had it. So I asked him to compose the music for this performance that I was, um, I was collecting during my treatment. So I came up with this, with the sound, which is, uh, I think, it, yeah, it kind of express also this feeling of separation and um, oppression. So gave me the music quite some years ago, but when we start working on editing Abisso and making the film, I just realized that the music that it gave me quite some years before it was just perfect for, for that specific mm. feeling. So yeah, that was... Um, so I asked him to, to compose an original music, but then it ended up with in this film. Mm. Yeah, when I was listening to it, it felt like a like an echo yeah. underwater. So I thought that was perfect yeah. for yeah um, for the soundtrack. Yeah, and, and basically we edited the 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 choreography. I mean the the dance on, on his soundtrack. So again, it's ah, kind, okay. of a, kind of two ways collaboration. So he composed it, I think, in two thousand and ten. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, I just kept it there because I knew I would have wanted to use it for mm. this project one day, but yeah. So even the sound was influenced by the, the your choreography was very influenced by um, this, this, the music? Yeah, yeah, we had, we had the f uh, first edit without the music mm. because I had this choreography in mind that kind of reminds of the, the womb and, and, and being a separate space and not being able to breathe so I, um so yeah we first added the, the film without the music and then we added and then kind of um, re-edit re kind of to yeah mm. shape and then, yeah you stated that your dance video performances are deeply related to the unfolding of your life narrative i'm curious to know where does abyssal sit in relation to your overall dance video ever? Abyssal is the first episode that we, um, we direct of the experimental film series Infinito, uh, which collects 10 years of perform dance performances during my, my illness experience. In terms of, Abyssal doesn't respect the, the the timeline so we started filming in 2007 and we finished this project in 2016 so we record we filmed in 2014 um, but we decided that it was important to start from from that point and we call the series infinito because uh, because of the infinite symbol and also because of kind of life it's a kind of yeah, an infinite and continuum. So we didn't start the series and having the first episode, the first dance with the first performance we filmed. So we kind of towards the middle point. So it's more, so the other film would be related, but more in a narrative way and not a temporal sequence. So I would say that this film Abisso is, is part of this larger, I mean, this project of eight episodes. So mm. Abyss is the first we made. Mm. 
but in terms of the the narrative we don't know yet where it's going to be located yeah so also because there's no really a sequence so every film kind of stands on its own it tells one story and they all kind of link together but mm. more in a in a metaphorical mm. way it's not it's not about telling like my experience how it happened when it happened you know, I don't, we think that that's not the most interesting what I love about dance is the invisible language it conveys with that it has many layers of expressions. Could you please talk more about your research on the nature of the variations dance has when enacted on stage across different dance performers? Yeah, that's, that's part of my PhD research. I am investigating the um, variations of stage presence enactments and I look at three different dance forms. So it's all based around this idea that stage presence is generally understood and conceived as a specific quality of the performer, something that a good performer uh, in theatre or dance has. When a performer uh, dance of all act well is it's supposed to have it said he has a, a strong presence or he has presence so I'm kind of challenging this idea that stage presence or presence in performance has to do with the intrinsic quality or abilities and skill of the performer and I approach this theme through a cognitive ecological framework. I'm trying to demonstrate through my ethnographic study. So I interview different choreographers and performers across three different dance forms, contemporary ballet, contact improvisation, and body weather. So I went to Marseille at the National Ballet and worked with the choreographer and the dancer, asking them to, to explain and to, to describe what they experience what their sense of presence is when they perform and when they perform a, a specific dance piece that, that in that case was Passione by Emil Greco and I worked with some content improvisation uh, practitioners in Italy and here and again work on their sense of presence when they improvise and jam and I also interview Tess De Quincy and other body weather performers here in Sydney and uh, again explore a slightly different understanding of presence in performance. So the scope of my thesis is to demonstrate that it's a bit more complex than that. So it's, it's something that it's not just relates uh, it's not something about the performer, so it's not a performer that it has presence and with that can affect and influence the audience and the audience is just kind of passive mm. receiver of whatever the performer uh, is enacting. Mm. But it's more like um, an ecological phenomenon, so it's something that rather emerged, so not only the performer is able to experience presence while is and then like immersed in a in a complex environment as um, the theater and 
and acting or performing dance in a piece. But also there are lots of other elements that influence his experience in a way influence the audience and the audience influence the performer and the context and also the the, the history, the, the atmosphere, the living together. So through my thesis I'm just trying to show the, the complexity of this phenomenon. Just trying to reframe uh, stage presence mm. in a more ecological sense. Mm. When you collected all this data, was there any patterns that you saw that was interesting? Yeah. Or yeah. If you have any that yeah. you remember. Yeah, if I, even if like the these three different case studies are like the, the practice, the thing they do, the, the way they understand dance is so different. Body whether from ballet, they, they just all contact, they just have a different understanding of what a body is supposed to say or so during my uh, the research I also show um, the different performer, the different dancer the videos of the other to dance forms and ask them to comment and <laughs> yeah what they thought about the uh, the presence of the other performer wow. and, and so they were super critical like everyone was really uh, kind of defending their own practice and in a way that like <laughs> we know what <laughs> like presence means that and yeah they were kind of critical mm. let's say but um, as you suggest yeah there was a some sort of common pattern and that was their relationship with environment I, even if they they have different ways of um, understanding the body and the sense of presence what emerged is that it's really linked to an awareness of being immersed in a in a specific in a certain environment so that I think there was the common thread mm, the, um, interesting. the being <laughs> being there so it's yeah the feeling of existing wow yeah I can't wait to read more <laughs> of your PhD yeah <laughs> it's a very interesting topic thanks yeah, yeah. so in all by what you have done and how courageous you you were at the time you were dealing with this. I think that's just, yeah, I'm really um, Thank you. amazed. And also thanks. thanks for coming and doing this uh, interview. I'm really grateful. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy of uh, being here <laughs> today. And, yeah. Thank you for listening to Dance Cinema Podcast where we feature makers with their dance films and videos. From directors to dancers, cinematographers to editors, to costume, to sound designers. To watch more videos, head to dancecinema.org.